Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Virkula. I'm here to help Paul talk about the big stories of the week that have appeared on his website, Common Sense with Paul Jacob, which you can find at thisiscommonsense.org. Every day of the week, Paul publishes a piece of commentary at the website. And this week started out with Facebook, the FBI's snitch on the 19th. On the 20th, it was freedom of disassociation. On 21st, it was the indicted have gun rights. On the 22nd, it's a thousand times yes. And on the 23rd, today, it's the energy trap. We're recording on September 23rd for the last weekend of September 2022. So, Paul, where do you want to begin? There was a thought this week that almost goes without saying, except in our crazy world, we need to say it as much as possible. And it's not really so much tied to any of the scripts that that uh, at least it didn't dawn on me that it was is terribly tied. And I'll probably mess up his last name, Paul Firebend. I always pronounce it Firebend, but I don't okay. know. That's what, sort of the German pronunciation, Firebend. Could you get his parents on the line? We, <laughs> we need to. Uh, but he says, Paul, his first name certainly excellent. Why even why even go further? In a democracy. Science should be separated from the state, just as churches are now separated from the state. I have a feeling you agree with that one. Oh, I like this one a lot. Uh, and I think it was didn't seem plausible to most people until 2022 or 2020. Yeah. About now, there are more people who might be uh, more susceptible to the uh, ideas of Farabad and other people who have said the same kind of thing. Yes. And what's interesting is I don't think people would necessarily, at least a lot of folks, and they might with the pandemic, but even before the pandemic, you know, the, the degree to which the government is the, the uh, spokesperson for big science is, uh, and, and all the money that's flowing. Um, I think people, you know, maybe the pandemic helped in that way that they saw how much science and government were, um, it was the same thing. Science was a um, a wholly owned subsidiary of the government. Yeah, this is a bad situation we're in. And it's a real problem. I, I refer to it in a lot of my writings, and, and I don't know if I've helped put it in your writings at all or not. I don't remember. But that's, uh, you know, I do editing, and then occasionally occasionally some of my favorite terms get in. I don't know how that happens. But uh, Sometimes you suggest things, and there's all kinds of tricks that you have to just – you know, I was a communist, and then yeah. all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. But my, my uh, term that I like to say is monopsony science. Uh, that is where there's only one buyer for science, and that is government. Now, it's not true, actually. There's a lot of science that is done by, by uh, major corporations uh, and so forth. But l most of the uh, research being done in universities and so forth, and much of it being done by uh, corporations, is funded by taxpayers. And, yes. and and by yeah. the and by the uh, Federal Reserve, so to speak. Uh, so between those two, uh, a lot of science gets done. And the thing is, is that when you have one funder, they can call the tune. And it's amazing how you can direct science uh, and get the results you want. And uh, so I, I I find it very dangerous. And if if anyone wants to take a dive in just one pool. Uh, about the collusion between government and science, go to thisiscommonsense.org and uh, 
uh, search lab leak, um, uh, or or Peter uh, Dasnak uh, would be another name to to search. But lab leak will do it. And uh, you know we 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 grabbed one story in 2020 because it was an interesting look at that 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 hadn't really been publicized much, and we just kind of followed it. And I'll bet we've done you know ten or more on you know mentioning that specifically the the collusion between the NIH and uh and Echo Health Alliance and which was basically a money launderer that sent the money to the Wuhan lab and yeah and it's and it's more ominous than that because the Wuhan lab has also had deep ties with Chinese military. So here we have our government working hand in hand with apparently with the Chinese military in developing strains of a disease that became a pandemic around the world that upset the political order of the world and has done great damage and we're suffering from today. Uh, and that's an astounding thing when you think about it. Who did what first and where, how much direction there was, we don't know. I have and, my suspicions, but it's not good no matter what. And, and of course, the cover-up was was also shared um and this week there was a story i could barely contain myself um but it was a story where fauci came out and said it's he still would like the chinese government to be more forthcoming and that we may never <clears throat> be able to figure this out if it you know and then he specifically said I'm not talking about any Chinese scientists or the Chinese people, but only the government, as if we were all going to rush out and attack Chinese people like we weren't smart enough to know it's the government that's the problem. But 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 it was so cover your behind by Fauci. And and of course, the media eats it up and feeds it to everybody. And, and when you know a little something about it, you realize what a complete sham uh, we're being fed on a daily basis from people who we pay their salary, like Mr. Fauci, highest paid government employee, and uh, and the media who's part of the whole, you know, deep state cabal, unfortunately. And I had an interesting conversation with two geniuses this week, uh, uh, philosopher Barry Smith and uh, uh, polymath Jobst Landegrab, who've written a book about artificial intelligence. And it's obviously, a, it's an amazing, what they've done is amazing. They've made a case that artificial intelligence isn't as dangerous as I thought. Okay. And, and they convinced me pretty much. I'm not as worried about AI as I used to be. But one of the things, just an offhand remark, I think it was Jobst who said basically that, well, he was saying that nearly everybody in the AI field who actually does programming on a high level doesn't believe in uh, artificial general intelligence. They don't believe that all the hype that you get from Elon Musk and people like that. He says it's all about education. If they don't know the math or they can't do the programming or they haven't researched, or they, it, it's just they, they, there's not that much belief there. But it's a popular belief nonetheless, and it sort of masquerades as science. And then this is an offhand remark. Same thing pretty much is the case with climate science, is that high level, the people who really know what climates, how they work, don't believe the guff we get from the IPCC. They just don't believe it. And that's an interesting thing that I think people don't recognize is that there's a lot of science that are the scientists who are hyped because they're well-paid, because they have connections, because they have ties to some ideology or another, often the most elite elites of the world. Uh, 
they're what we hear out out here in the you know the normal world but real scientists don't necessarily believe all this but i think a lot of them are scared because how political the world is in science is really really dangerous and that's because of funding largely yes yeah i'd say 100 percent but well, uh, we had numerous comments on, on the different uh, commentaries this week, and I thought we might start right at the, at the top in terms of uh, uh, the, the most comments were on a thousand times yes. Uh, and, and this was a commentary about uh, President Biden's comments again uh, about defending Taiwan if China were to attack. Uh, he has said yes, I, I think, uh, more than half a dozen times to that question. And of course, the U.S. policy has been strategic ambiguity, which I say in this piece at thisiscommonsense.org, uh, a thousand times yes. Uh, I point out that strategic ambiguity to me seems like a completely silly policy. Uh, we don't want the Chinese somehow to know whether or not we're going to defend uh, Taiwan. Uh, there was a, a treaty uh, back in the 50s uh, that, that uh, Jimmy Carter got rid of, kind of tossed out, even though the, the Senate had, uh, <clears throat> had ratified it. In fact, uh, Barry Goldwater, when he was still a U.S. senator and still alive, uh, took Carter to court. And the court basically threw up their hands and said, it's a, it's a political matter. We, you know, we can't do anything. Um, but I think that that treaty is still in effect that says uh, we are agreeing to a mutual defense treaty with Taiwan. And of course, even if it's not, there's the Taiwan Relations Act, which basically says we're guaranteeing them a, you know, the capacity to defend themselves. Now, any American can say, hey, wait a second, I didn't want to do that. And uh, I'm not for conscription. Uh, I'm really not for a, a government that, uh, you know, beats people up and takes their money a lot. Uh, but I, I look at this and I think we have again and again said we're there to defend Taiwan. And, uh, and we've run around picking on a lot of pipsqueaks throughout the world. Well, here it seems like the world is on the, the precipice of a, of a really ugly uh, situation where two, you know, totalitarian Russia, I don't think is quite efficient enough to be really considered totalitarian. It's like they're totalitarian wannabe. They're, but they don't have kind of the, the jackboots, you know, stomping on, on people uh, with the kind of efficiency that, that you expect from, uh, from the top-rate totalitarians. China is a top-rate totalitarian. I think if... Uh, out of Hitler and the Nazis had 1.4 billion citizens uh, that they were ruling over. Uh, World War II might have been uh, might have turned out a, a lot, lot, lot worse, and it was pretty bad as it was. Um, so I have been a hawk, and as most people who know me, I've I've, I've not been a hawk throughout my life. Uh, I'm still not for the U.S.'s world policeman. I I think that we could step back and form alliances like in, in NATO, although I don't know that we're even needed in NATO. Europe has more than enough people and money and, and will uh, to defend themselves. So I'm not sure that we're so essential in that. And again, that's up to the American people to decide. But I'd like to see that same sort of alliance. And, and China has, 
has voiced fears that we're trying to set up an Asian NATO. Well, that's exactly what I think we should do. And, uh, and Japan has stepped up and other countries like Australia and, and uh, even South Korea has have stepped up and seen the threat because if they take Taiwan, it's not just the chips, although that's pretty gigantic uh, change to the world, the, the uh, computer chips, 90 something percent of the high end computer chips are being produced in Taiwan uh, proper. So that's, uh, you know, it, it's something, but it's also just here is a country that's gone from totalitarian fascist Chiang Kai-shek for 40 years under martial law to be arguably the freest, most democratic country in, in Asia. And, uh, and for, for us to, uh, to kind of say, hey, we got your back, we got your back. And then, uh, well, maybe not if it's somebody, you know, if it's, a, if it's Xi Jinping and those, uh, those thugs in the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, well, we, we maybe just, maybe we'll slap some sanctions on them. I have kind of continually, without the kind of, uh, warned that we need to be prepared to fight because it seems to me it's the only thing that the Chinese will understand means they can't fight and they can't attack. They can't invade because they can't win. And they're not stupid people. Uh, they're smart people. And uh, so. Well, you started by saying that you talked about the uh, comments we got to the, your piece. On yes. Thursday. Well, I had to, I had to give the long uh, <laughs> yeah, monologue <yeah>. first. <laughs> okay. Couldn't, <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't put yourself in second uh, place, right? Uh, no, of course not. <laughs> of course not. So you, Skip Cook, Daniel Kean McKiernan, Durek, and uh, that was it, I think. Uh, no, Thomas Knapp is there. Uh, yeah, uh, Tom Knapp was there. So we've, um, we had quite, you got some pushback in, in very different ways. So do you have any yes. thoughts on any of that? I have a lot of thoughts on that. I just kind of wanted to set what they were talking about. Um, but Skip Cook is an old buddy of mine, uh, uh, was one of the key people in term limits back in 1992 in Arkansas. And I was in Arkansas a few weeks ago. I mean, it all kind of runs together, but it seems like it was a few weeks ago. And I uh, got a chance to have coffee uh, with Skip. And, and, and Skip has since spent some time in, in China, but he has a view... Uh, that's uh, much more sympathetic to Putin and, uh, and, and very, un and that's just a separate thing, but uh, uh, much more sympathetic to the Chinese as well. And, and he, he thinks that we should butt out of that uh, part of the world. And, um, and he's very straightforward. And then of course says, uh, love Skip. So uh, love you back, Skip, you're, you're dead wrong. Anyway. But, but his main point, it's about Puerto Rico. Well, he says, uh, yeah, how would you feel about China defending the civil liberties of disenchanted Puerto Ricans? Well, there's a, a whole lot of difference there. One, um, show me the disenchanted uh, Puerto Ricans. Um, and, and of course, we as the United States govern Puerto Rico. The uh, People's Republic of China has never governed Taiwan. And of course, there's a long history. And, and this is, this is uh, uh, and I don't know that Skip, you know, I mean, it, this is one comment. He may understand a lot of this stuff. Yeah, sure, but, I, but, sure. but generally, I find people have no real concept of Taiwan other than it's the nationalist Chinese who came over from the mainland 
after they lost the Civil War to, to uh, Mao. And that's just not quite accurate. Taiwan has had people for a long time. Now, most of them are ethnically Han Chinese, but they came over to escape China for the most part. And they lived on the island for a long time and China had very little to do with it. And I'm talking about in the 17, 1800s. And then in 1895, it is ceded to Japan because of a war. It's part of uh, the goodies that Japan gets to take. And Japan treated it as, uh, as you know, somewhat of a province of Japan. Uh, folks in Taiwan learned Japanese. They also spoke Taiwanese, but they, they learned Japanese. And, uh, and, and the island was built up a lot. And of course, you had then a, a, about what, eight, nine, 10 million people living on Taiwan when the nationalist Chinese came over. And there were about a, a couple million who came over. So it's not as if this is part of China in the same way that Puerto Rico is part of the United States. Um, and it's not, and it, it's, uh, it's a much different situation in that uh, the Taiwanese aren't disenchanted. They're very happy. They like the government they have. They want to keep it. They don't want to be invaded. Um, if we were, if somehow Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico was an independent island country, at least claimed to be, and we were threatening to invade it, uh, I think that China might have, a, might have an argument that, that, hey, we'll come over and help defend them. Um, so it, it matters what the actual facts are. And, uh, and I think in this case, uh, the one thing that's for certain is the people of Puerto Rico ought to control what happens to Puerto Rico. And the people of Taiwan ought to control what happens in Taiwan. And, and I, I saw a video last night. In fact, I fell asleep. I, I had to go back and find out where, where in it I fell asleep. But I was watching a video and they were talking about Taiwan caught between two superpowers. And they were showing all the, the different, uh, uh, there's, there's a kind of the rage in Taiwan these days is, are these uh, training camps where they're training people how to, uh, fight and how to protect themselves and how to, you know, medical care if they're hurt and all kinds of things. And they showed them they had guns and they had the fatigues and everything. And they talked about how they're caught between two superpowers. But those Taiwanese folks in those uniforms with those guns are not training to fight an invading American army. They are training to fight an invading Chinese army. And that's sort of important. And, and so you have to, you know, you have to kind of look at this. We, we get so much of this, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's one superpower versus another superpower. I'm really not that interested in that. I would like one or both of those superpowers to help protect Taiwan. Why? Because Taiwan is a relatively free country. And when a country goes from not being free to being free, I want to keep it free. And when a country isn't free, I'd like to make it free. And, and whatever governments help in that, uh, I salute them. Whatever people help in that, I salute them. Now, there's one other wrinkle to the Puerto Rico com uh, comparison. We run it. The United States runs it. Well, that's not true exactly. We oversee the absolute mismanagement of the, of the government of the of Puerto Rico, which is done natively. 
right? They, they, I mean, Puerto Ricans basically run Puerto Rico for the most part, and they have been caught. Their their politicians have been in scandal after scandal. There, I think the last governor is in prison. I don't. It gets really weird, and I think the current governor, or I mean, it's just, it's just been a mess for a long been time. Very corrupt. Very, very corrupt. corrupt. So yes. the question really is, why isn't America doing a better of? Uh, overseeing that government. And I would say one reason might be, of course, that our government probably is nearly as corrupt, but we have a better system for concealing it. And certainly the Bidens show that to be somewhat true. Uh, Daniel, Daniel. But, but I, I, think, it- I, I think it's not so much. A, I mean, that, that that's kind of a side issue of, I mean, our, our the Chinese aren't complaining because we're saying, hey, you've got corruption there or something. I, I think the 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 comparison between Puerto Rico and Taiwan is just a complete non-starter. Well, but the problem, I mean, what, what, what's really there is that one has, uh, it's, it's, they're close countries. Uh, a better a better example might be some other- uh, Cuba, Cuba yeah. would be a better example, um, especially if after the Spanish-American War, we had claimed Cuba as actual U.S. territory. Well, now we might be threatening invasion. And in fact, the Bay of Pigs, there was a kind of paramilitary, I don't know if you can call that military, I guess you could, partly. Anyway, there was a CIA, you know, paramilitary attempt to invade Taiwan, or Taiwan, Cuba. Let's get our country straight. But um, that would be more uh, analogous, I think. And, and of course, there was a big deal when, when uh, uh, Russia put missiles in Cuba. But again, I think the, the, the fear wasn't that somehow we've lost Cuba because Cuba's not ours. The fear was those missiles could sure hit our homes in a, in a, a quick bit. And most Americans are completely unaware that one of the ways, not one of the ways, the, the key way that that was solved is the Russians took the missiles out of Cuba and we took the missiles out of Turkey. Yeah, but that's most a, people. There's never any discussion about our missiles in Turkey. That's that's something we weren't allowed to know at the time, I guess. And and there are missiles in Turkey now again, right? I mean, because that, Turkey is a NATO nation. Turkey is a NATO nation, but you know, I don't know if there are. That's uh, a question I could follow up. There. On. That's a good question. That's a good um, question. Daniel, assume that if uh, Puerto Rico wanted to go independent and the United States wasn't letting it, then. We, we were all for independence of Puerto Rico. If the Puerto Ricans want to be independent, you and I, we're both for that. That's okay. Absolutely. That's not, that's not even an issue really yes. uh, for us. I'm uh, for, I'm for New Hampshire or South Dakota being independent yeah. if they yeah. want to be independent. Yeah. I, I'm only against independence if it's to advance slavery. And yeah. then I'm, then I'm, then I'm against it. Well, anyway, um, uh, so he uh, makes his point in his final paragraph. Did you find that at all of a challenge? Um. Well, let me let me put my glasses on so I can remember what he said exactly. Well, he says, yeah, I'm also guessing that you'd feel that if the U.S. tried forcibly to stop Puerto Rican independence, you'd feel that it had brought upon itself any foreign intervention in defense of the Puerto Ricans. Well, uh, yes, I would. I would. And and, uh, you know, I'm not you you could have you could have countries intervene in ways that were not so good or with terrible, malevolent uh, motives. Um, but Puerto Rico has a right to to become independent if it wants to become independent. And anybody who steps up and stops someone from denying someone their rights 
is in the right, at least as far as that goes. And so, yes, I would, uh, we, we would have brought that on ourselves and it's not a bad thing. I'm glad uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm, I think it's better if we don't require that. And then, then some other, you know, country coming in, you'd, you'd kind of wonder, well, what, what are they up to? But, but if, if, if Puerto Rico wants to be independent, they should be independent. But they've so far their uh, referendums haven't expressed that univocally anywhere, right? No, no, they haven't. And and uh, I I believe they voted at least once. It seems like they voted more than once. But uh, and it was it was very close. Yeah. Well, they may be looking at it that they don't feel that their politicians are just up up to snuff yet. <laughs> and it's, that, would you know, be, it's a- that would be a good reason not to be go independent for them. It's a, I don't know if, if, and I I was in Puerto Rico for a day. I'm not even sure I was there a full day. Uh, Maybe I was there overnight. Anyway, I went to a a Libertarian International meeting that was in in Puerto Rico. And uh, I was a little surprised at how, you know, it's, it's an island and everything's nice and sunny, but it's, it's, uh, the infrastructure didn't look so good. And, uh, and it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to be in people's minds that, hey, wait, that's that's us. Uh, so, you know, I think there is a, a, a problem uh, in terms of Puerto Rico not getting the the love and attention uh, it deserves. And um, and and I think if if, you know, it, it, the sad thing is, in some cases, you might say, well, you know, maybe if they're independent, they'd get that. I'm I'm not so sure that that it would improve the situation. It might, the, the best thing might be for the rest of the uh, American people to, to worry more about it and demand that things be done so that it's not a corrupt uh, whatever hole uh, our former president used to call such places. Tom Knapps, I, I, I mentioned all this because I find this, a, this, is, this is the issue that I find most troubling. That I mean, this the massive thermonuclear war is not something that I take lightly. Uh, so the the deal with China and the deal with Russia right now, I, I find very disturbing. Uh, Tom Knapp is not at all for uh, allying ourselves with Taiwan. No, he's not. And and uh, let's read what he says because uh, you know I, I agree in part and and uh, and then I'll disagree in part. He says I hope that Taiwan, which is not part of the People's Republic, never has been part of the People's Republic, hasn't been occupied by, ruled from China since 1895, can successfully avoid or resist invasion annexation. I hope that U.S. arms companies are permitted to sell Taiwan all the weapons it wants and that Americans who do care, who care to volunteer to help defend it, aren't forbidden to do so. I'm with him 100% on all of that. I hope the U.S. government starts choosing to mind its own business instead of continually and unsuccessfully trying to be the world's policeman. And it's uh, I think he really hits the nail on the head there in terms of the argument against defending Taiwan is arguably to say we shouldn't be doing any of this anywhere around the world. Here's my problem with that. There's a time I think that you could do that. Right now, we could we could pull back and say we're not having anything to do with with policing any part of the world. 
But I think it means at this stage that there's a huge vacuum in Southeast Asia, that China takes Taiwan, uh, that it, that causes a worldwide depression, uh, which the Secretary of, of uh, Commerce has already predicted if anything like that happens, we'll have a severe and long lasting uh, recession depression uh, because of the chips, but also it will change the whole dynamic in Asia to where Japan will have to arm to the teeth. They will get nuclear weapons um, and they will have to deal with China in a much different way because they will not trust the United States to be there and kind of have their back. It will be the end of that alliance. It'll be, I think, the end of all the alliances. And years ago, I would have said, great, let's get out of the alliances because I haven't worried too much about them. Um, I've, I've kind of seen it always as superfluous, our role in, in NATO. And I don't mean that we're not playing a big part in NATO. We're playing the major role in NATO. I'm just saying these are, you know, Germany and the UK and France. These are real, you know, these are big boy folks who, uh, you know, they got some muscles. They can do some stuff without us always having to, you know, do everything for them. But it, I think it changes the whole dynamic of the world at a time in which there is a clash between authoritarianism and freedom, democracy. And those are, you know, we can poo-poo and a lot of conservatives, libertarians will poo-poo democracy. But countries where they're actually holding real elections to, to uh, you know, put candidates into office and so on, just tend to have a much freer environment than countries that don't allow that. And, uh, and so I think we're at a stage in which I want this huge military that's been built on my nickel and probably a few other people's too, to look at what is essential for us. I'd like to pull back from world policemen, which is, which I see as fighting every, in every village hamlet. I remember years ago, uh, Huntsman, the guy in, in Utah, this was 2012, 2016, whenever it was, he was talking about running for president. And he gave this great argument for why we ought to get out of Afghanistan. And then somebody on Morning Joe pushed him to basically say, but what if the Taliban comes back into some village or something? And he was immediately, well, we'd have to go to that village. And it's so it's like we're going to pull back, except if there's trouble anywhere in any village in the world, we're going to rush back in. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is I'm afraid we're headed to World War III. And I don't mean in Ukraine, because I don't think, I mean, the, the, the Putin may threaten nuclear weapons and all kinds of things. It's a dangerous situation, but I don't think it, it has the same conventional warfare danger as we have in Asia. And, uh, and the totalitarian strain being practiced in China with their might economically and military, and they've built up so much, is, I think, something that uh, we have to check. And if we don't check it now, we'll have to check it later, and it will be harder to check it later. And if we don't check it at any time, then I think my my kids and grandkids and great grandkids and future generations are going to live in a, in a far worse world. Well, I guess my view is more domestic oriented because I think the real challenges to us are all coming 
right here and the totalitarian impulse is strong on the democratic party they've their attitudes towards the maga crowd is is now insane and anti-democratic uh and i think the our biggest challenge is get is right now domestic and I, I don't even see our i don't see the united states as being capable of any land warfare on a massive scale in the near future, because I think that our military is degraded to an amazing extent. What we have is an amazing technology, which may so far outshine everybody else's that it, I mean, even World War III may not be as bad as I think, because they may be able to just knock things out of the air like we don't have any idea. I don't know what the situation is. And I have the feeling that when uh, uh, Democrats are pushing and uh, war in the Ukraine, and exacerbating the, you know, poking the Russian bear, I think that they they believe that they can win a nuclear confrontation. I think that we're we're back to where we were with uh, Curtis LeMay, who thought that we were so far advanced to the Russians, and he was probably right that we would survive handily. He was willing to sacrifice millions of Americans and, and millions around the world, but he thought we could win. And I think the Democrats, the insiders, are in a similar position now. They may know things about what's going around in space, you know, for warfare that we don't know. And uh, and that uh, that scares me because even if they're correct, they're willing to accept huge losses. Yeah, but I, I don't know anything about any of that. Well, I, I don't know anything, but I think they know more than we do. And and the, we have reason to believe that a number of them believe that we could win handily with a nuclear confrontation. It's been said on... on, on uh, it's been said on the air, uh, I forget who it was, but, uh, you know, some bigwigs are saying things that that are ominous in their confidence. Well, I, I will say, I think, uh, one, I think some of the uh, recruiting short, shortfalls, which have been hyped, they're, they're really fairly tiny recruiting shortfalls. And, of course, the whole, you know, you're always fighting the last war. And, of course, we may not be prepared for a land war, but we're, but if we fight China, it's not going to be a land war. It's going yeah. to be naval and air. And in fact, if, if you look at, um, uh, someone was mentioning, I think it was Drick that, that basically, um, China fears Taiwan as a, as a place to, you know, launch an invasion from. Um, but you know, we, we skipped Taiwan when we were Island hopping to get to Japan because it's so tough to take. And of course, I don't know why they would worry about that so much because Taiwan, nobody's ever launched an invasion from Taiwan. Never. Nobody's launched an invasion from Taiwan. And as far as we know, in the history, you know, unless it was, you know, 10 billion B.C. or something uh, with rocks and sticks, or maybe there were astronauts then, I don't know. But it's it's uh, it's the sort of thing where I think uh, I, I don't think we're looking at a land war so much. And I think from what I've read about the Chinese trying to take Taiwan, it's very tough to do that across the strait and to take them because they're a serious country with some serious firepower and, and troops. And they don't have air and naval superiority if the U.S. intervenes. So it's, it's uh, you know... Well, I, don't, I don't think that anyone in China really fears an invasion from the United States. I, they'd have to be right. foolish to me. Right. I, I don't believe that anyone's that dumb. I just, I can't believe it. They're not. They're not. Uh, because I mean, Xi Jinping has basically said that his commitment to take over Taiwan 
is some sort of Chinese ideological mandate of heaven kind of thing, right? They, they just want to because they want to. It is strategically pretty important. They've You've got the first island chain, uh, Philippines, Taiwan, Japan, and all the islands coming down from Japan to Taiwan. And, uh, and, and so it just doesn't give the, the, the Chinese are going to have much more freedom of movement into the Pacific without being seen if, if they take Taiwan and they separate Korea and Japan from the rest of, of Asia. And strategically that could be very important. And there's but, also all those chips. I mean, the, the, the industrial yes. power of Taiwan is amazing. It and, is amazing. And you've been there. And I, I, I know this is a far afield, but what does Taiwan look like when you go to Taiwan? What do you see? Well, it, 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 it looks Chinese in the sense of it's got, you know, it's got the writing and it may, it may be Taiwanese, not Chinese. I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't read Mandarin or Taiwanese or Cantonese or any of those, but, um, but in the signs and stuff, it's, um, you know, so it's got a lot of the, the streets. They have the, the signs all down the street. Um, you know, it's not like America where we hide everything. We don't want you to know there's a shopping center here. Uh, but, but anyway, um, I, I think what I like most about it, and, and I, this will sound bad. I don't know how to say it, so I'll say it and then I'll fix it. But they had what I view as an American attitude of how can I help you? How can I make your stay better at my hotel? How can I make your meal better at my restaurant? How can, I mean, the, the bulba tea, it's like they found a way to get a little like fruit and tapioca. I don't even like tapioca, but, but fruit and different stuff into the drink and little bubbles. And it, it's insane. And of course, they have to have bigger straws so you can suck the bubbles up with your tea or your lemonade. They're thinking about how to make things better for you so they can make a buck. And they're, they seem to be very happy on both ends, both getting the better goods and services and producing them and getting rich. Um, I think it's like, what, the 17th largest economy in the world or something is 24 million people. Um, you know, so it's and, it, you know, it, it's it's no paradise. It's not like they don't have any poverty. It's not like they their government's always perfect in some way. It's not. They have fights in the in the um, uh, diet. It's not called a diet. What's it called? Uh, uh, oh, uh, the the one. Uh, but it, you know, it's but it was it. I saw it as a very neat place. They have Starbucks. That helps. Uh, a very neat place where. You know, you could get stuff you wanted. You could, you know, you it, it, it was like America a lot in that way. And um, and of course, the only place I've been in Asia are Taiwan and Hong Kong, which are arguably two of the freest and wealthiest places in Asia. So, you know, it's, it's not as if I've had some great experience with Asia, but I just really liked it. And, and the one thing I regretted is I was busy the whole time I went to a conference there uh, is that they've got all these mountains. It is the, they have the most 3000 foot peak mountains per capita of any place in the world. So there's all these hiking trails and you know, and I had some friends there have sent back pictures where, you know, the sun comes over the mountain. And, and so I very much want to go back and and uh, and do a lot of hiking. 
So you didn't get to see rural Taiwan at all, really? No, no. I also want to take like the whole, <clears throat> the east side of the island is very unpopulated, uh, mountains and and so on. And uh, I want to take a, a scooter all the way around the island. I think it's 200 miles all the way around. So that sort of thing. It's about the size of Maryland, uh, which people will think of as a small state, but it's a, it's a pretty good size of uh, um you know, it's it's they have room for more than the 24 million people who were there. It is a flashpoint. It's a very important piece of real estate in our world. It is arguably the place uh, that is most likely to spark a major war uh, of anywhere in the world. Even Ukraine, as they're fighting right now in Ukraine, I think. Um, and. Not only do the American people know very little about it, most of what they know isn't so. And that's that's why um, I'm, I'm anxious to find ways to better educate people about what's happening. For instance, if you see it as all as just the other side of the Chinese Civil War, well, kind of instinctively, you think, well, yeah, it's part of China, except it's not really part of China and traditionally hasn't been part of China. And it's all these people who, you know, different, the Portuguese, the Dutch, the Spanish, the Chinese, the Japanese, all kinds of people have taken it over and killed people, but that doesn't really give you any right to run the island. And so uh, I, I think that uh, one of the things I'd like to see happen is for Americans to know more about Taiwan, because I think it would it would uh, very much deepen the commitment, which is, according to polls, is the majority of the folks saying, yes, we should uh, defend Taiwan. Well, did you want to talk at all about the other pieces this week? We're getting I do. I do just uh, quickly if we uh, and then we probably have a we haven't been been uh, we haven't gone the whole hour yet. Um, we had some comments about uh, the indicted have gun rights, uh, which which, you know, basically this is a piece where a judge came out and said, hey, uh, they had a guy, he had, he had actually lied on his, um, on his uh, background check to get a gun, uh, but he was under indictment and that's what he lied about. And of course they may be able to get him for lying, but, um, but a judge basically ruled you can't deny people uh, weapons if they're just because they've been indicted for some crime, uh, that you have to convict them for that crime. And I think a lot of people, their first thought might be, uh, well, what about somebody who, you know, guns down a bunch of people in broad daylight? Well, that person doesn't get out um, until, I mean, if they're found not guilty of trial, they'd get out, obviously. But, but that's not really the issue we're talking about. We're talking about people who are out and do they still have the same rights that they had before. And it seems to me, uh, sometimes they don't have the right to leave the jurisdiction. Uh, but other than that, that, that they should have those rights. This was almost a chorus, Tim, of folks, you know, saying yes. Uh, I think years ago, when we first started talking some about civil asset forfeiture, and this idea that the government somehow could take your stuff, and then you'd have to sue to get it back. And they took it because supposedly it was involved in a crime, but they never charged anyone with a crime. They just kept their stuff. And uh, polls showed 90% plus people against that because people fundamentally believe innocent until proven guilty. And 
And Daniel Kean McKernan uh, had some good comments here, you know, about people losing the right to keep and bear arms for the rest of their lives. And, and of course, I'm one of those people. I refused to register for the draft when I was 20, I guess. And, uh, and I am forbidden to ever own a gun. Uh, you know, revolution comes, I'll just have to, I'll have to uh, uh, use revolutionary justice to grab a gun and help. But, uh, but, you know, I think he makes a great point there. And, um, and then of course came out uh, with a second comment saying, punishing someone merely for being accused is of course fascistic. Um, and we know in this world, uh, you know, uh, as not so free uh, follows up and says, G. Gordon Liddy, I was about to say what G. Gordon Liddy said. G. Gordon Liddy, uh, among others, has said you can indict a ham sandwich. An indictment is not a conviction. And, and what Liddy's talking about, because I think, I think a lot of people don't know, um, but these grand juries, you know, if a, if a prosecutor wants an indictment, he can spoon feed the grand jury in such a way and browbeat them if need be in such a way that literally you could indict a ham sandwich and you could probably indict the ham sandwich for any crime you felt like indicting them for. JDL, who uh, is, is, is someone who's, who's posted more recently, uh, points out that you know the government seems to just continually wanna do whatever it can to chip away at gun rights. We had a, a, a commentary in the last three or four weeks, it seems like, uh, about them trying to go after people to deny them their gun rights if they had medical marijuana. Uh, and of course, you know, you're not supposed to be handling machinery, a car, a gun when you're drunk or when you're high or, or what have you. But we don't, you know, someone who buys a six pack at the grocery store there isn't a SWAT team that comes in and takes away their guns later. Uh, and so, you know, that sort of stuff is, is pretty silly, but it, it shows very clearly that there is a huge bias in government against those of us who are citizens being armed. I think it's pretty clear that citizens being armed is not merely good for the citizens, but it's good for the government as good as it's going to get. If the government doesn't know that its citizens are themselves self-governing and self-defending, then it starts treating people very differently. And I, and I think that certain people in government, which is lots of them, want to treat people as less than self-determining and self-defending. And as, and as I've argued many times, uh, and, and, and pretty much everybody understands this, the classic Republican theory is the purpose of government isn't to, isn't to defend us. It's to clean up the messes and prevent vendettas. It's actually the worst thing in the world, in a sense, is the vendetta or the feuds when you know when when right. groups right. or families or whatever are just fighting each other, retaliating after retaliation, and you never know. There's no end to it. At right. some point, and you don't know when you're going to be in the crossfire, and and it just becomes nuts. And it's 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 kind of it is. I think that. that kind of situation is what most people mean by anarchy and that is the sense when everybody really wants to be opposed to anarchy is we don't want everybody fighting each other when people defend themselves and the government then is there to adjudicate disputes that's the main purpose of government and 
the government isn't there to, to defend us when a burglar comes in or somebody, a crazed lunatic comes into our houses. That's what we need to have guns for. And then the government is there just to, you know, clean up the mess. That's, that's how right. I look at it. Right. And, 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 uh, and so that's the most important thing is that we're all kind of in the same game, allegedly the same game. You know, when, when people say we are the government, well, we aren't the government in one sense, but in another sense, we're all both sides, citizens and government are supposed to be there to have law and order. And we can't have law and order on our side if we don't have something to back us up. I think that the United States of America is the only country in the world that I'm aware of where the people have a firepower advantage over the government. And uh, I don't own a gun, as I mentioned, I can't, but I feel safer every time a, uh, a free American citizen walks in and buys a gun because uh, I figure most people are good and they will help defend me. And, uh, you know, if things, stuff really hits the fan, maybe they'll toss me, uh, you know, a, a gun and we can work together. Yeah, unfortunately, my guns are all, you know, kind of on the variety of good for squirrels, grouse, pigeon, maybe an elk, if I, if I really tried. Elk, they're big. They're big, but a 30-30 should take them out. So anyway. Uh, well, I wanted to jump onto the energy trap. Uh, we'll just wrap up fairly quickly with the, the last three pieces. But uh, and this is Daniel uh, Kim McKernan uh, uh, again. Uh and he makes a great point here that that uh, I don't know if I have so much to, to say about it, but I think folks should hear it. And that is the political leadership is not so much stumbling as it is pursuing a really malevolent agenda. Their vision is of ordinary people diminished, wearing masks, using mass transit living in high-density housing and cities, eating insects served by a food service. Um, and the energy trap is, is basically, uh, that was today's piece, Friday's piece. And, uh, and you know, we, we were sort of pointing out that, uh, you know, the, the not follow the science uh, regime that, that talked about following the science over COVID but never did, is also not following the science when it comes to uh, the grid, uh, the electric grid. We've got we've got California mandating, and of course my state, Virginia, uh, the Virginia legislature passed legislation that requires Virginia to follow California's lead on these issues. I think very few Virginians are aware of that, uh, but we're not the only state. There's a number of states that have basically passed a law to say their state should follow California uh, when it comes to things like outlawing gas-powered uh, vehicles and only using electric cars. But of course, California makes this big announcement and then their grid, they're, they're urging people, don't, you know, don't charge your car, don't do this, don't, you know, turn your air conditioning down. Um, it is just a huge problem that, that, the folks running our society who are so much smarter than everybody else are not taking care of business and the grid is falling apart. And we're going to have a situation, as it pointed out in this piece, there was a, a Epoch Times uh, article that pointed out they're estimating $3 trillion to fix 
the grid uh, around the country. And these are things that they're hugely important from a life and death, you know, standpoint. They're usually important from a quality of life standpoint. They're usually important from a national security standpoint. And our leaders are not leaders. They're, they're crooks and they're asleep at the switch. And, uh, and so, you know, this is a, this is a problem and it's a problem that won't get fixed until there's enough of us screaming about it. They, they know it's a problem. They've been told a zillion times, a trillion times, and, uh, and they don't, they don't seem to do anything about it. And as the Epic Times piece made pretty clear, and I wanted to just mention it in case it wasn't caught by the audience, is, is that uh, it's because of the policies of renewable energy put in place that are not very efficient. They're not good. They're not time efficient, for one thing. They're intermittent sources of energy rather than consistently, you know, can produce at any time. You can produce uh, coal, uh, you know, coal can produce electricity. Hydroelectric can produce electricity. Uh, uh, natural gas can produce electricity pretty much continuously, but solar power and uh, air uh, and windmills can't do that. Literally, cannot do it. And uh, and so much of the green people have been pushing us towards what they call renewable energy, which isn't efficient energy. And that's the thing that I wish that was more cl clear to people is that it's just not efficient in the sense of providing electricity when and where and the quantities needed. Uh, by the people it is renewable just wait just wait a few days yeah for that's, that's, no system. that's no system at all and in the, and the <laughs> idea of moving every electric cars i think is the stupidest thing that you can imagine partly because that's kind of okay when we're having a good weather event like you're just normal times but when it gets really cold, electric cars just don't work very well. Batteries just don't work well. In, 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 uh, yes. In, and then we saw what happened with uh, production of electricity by windmills in Texas. What was it last year uh, when, when we had brownouts and a whole ca uh, cascade of just tragedy? We want energy to be determined where we're getting more and so on by market factors, by people willing to spend money. And, and the truth is we're going to need more energy. Nobody's thinking that tomorrow I'm going to turn off everything. There's going to be more gadgets. There's going to be more need for energy. And, and we, need, we need to have a marketplace that allows that innovation to happen and that growth to happen. Instead, we've got a, a, a bunch of politics being played to where not only are they going to do stupid stuff, but then when it's disastrous, they're going to point fingers at each other and not fix it. So it's it's uh, this is it's really uh, it's a scary problem. And it does involve national security in the sense that that, um, you know, we, we may find ourselves, you know, <laughs> we're worried about enemies. We seem to be a pretty darn big enemy of ourselves. Of course, it's really ideologically driven in the United States and Western Europe. And it's Western Europe that's actually got the worst of it so far. I mean, they're in much worse shape than we are. Uh, but but who knows what's going to happen this winter? No, and and it is. Uh, I, I, I'm, I can't remember who said in one of the comments this week or what piece it was, but, but uh, one of the comments was, you know, it seems as if there is a purposeful attempt to wreck America. 
And uh, and I think that and I don't think that's all being felt from from one political vantage point. I think a lot of us feel that and see that. And it just it's uh, it's disconcerting, to say the least. Well, our uh, first piece uh, of the week, I think, was uh, Facebook, the FBI snitch. And uh, this was about the fact that Facebook has been working with the FBI, has been alerting the FBI to various different comments that people have made. Uh, We haven't found any of those comments that have led anyone to be prosecuted for any crime of any kind. But uh, the Zuckerberg world of Facebook is a rotten bunch of folks who will snitch off anything you say uh, to the KGB, I mean, the, the FBI. And um, wow, it's, it's, it, we, we did the piece a couple of weeks ago where we talked about, uh, well, where we basically hit on uh, Mike Pence, who had argued that somehow we can't criticize the FBI. Uh, I want to read what JDL uh, posted as a comment on this piece. Uh, he says, disgusting, but not surprising. It's reasonable to assume that anything we post is read by the FBI. And he's right. They probably don't even need Facebook to flag messages if they figured out how to program bots to troll through everything online, searching for keywords they don't like. In time, everyone who works for the FBI today is going to be called to account. And... um, You know, I guess we could put on one end of the spectrum, uh, Tim, Mike Pence and the you can't ever criticize and and most of the media, you can't ever criticize the uh, uh, the FBI and put JDL on the other side. Uh, And I'm on JDL side in that. The FBI, it it isn't like, oh, my goodness, what has happened to the FBI? Now, I think you could say, oh, my goodness, the FBI has gotten even worse. But uh, a long history of not being held to account, and I only hope that he is true is right, and that they truly are held uh, to account. But but so far, I mean, even the obvious uh, folks, uh, Peter Strzok, uh, who was one of the FBI agents sending the love texts back and forth to his girlfriend. Um, I think both of them were married to somebody else. Uh, you know, it's a modern world here. Uh, but but sending these texts that are we're going to stop Trump and so on that are totally outrageous for anybody to send, much less FBI agents on government time. Uh, he's on MSNBC all the time as a commentator. Um, he's he's a celebrity now. Uh, and 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 Comey. Uh, you know, has a book out and he does different things, but he's he's lionized by by the, the most of the press. And here is a guy who, you know, came out to shoot off his mouth about investigations that that weren't really anybody's business, that weren't leading anywhere in the middle of a presidential campaign with the stated purpose to be part of that campaign. I mean, it seemed very clear that he came out and publicly attacked Hillary Clinton and didn't indict her uh, when he clearly had the grounds to indict her if if the FBI, you know, if the Justice Department decided to. To me, indict or don't indict. 
but keep your mouth shut. You don't have a right as a government to investigate people criminally and then not prosecute them criminally, but talk a lot of smack about how they're rotten people. That is not the job of the Department of Justice. And um, anyway, it's First, uh, he was on Hillary Clinton's side, though. I think that he was sort of pressured by the weirdness of the events of that election because he was being caught in a pattern of dumping on Trump. And then all of a sudden it Hillary Clinton. I mean, it was a very strange situation. Uh, he, he wanted he wanted his to protect his own viability politically in yeah. Washington. And so he couldn't indict Hillary, but he realized if the wind blows that way and I haven't indicted her, well, then I'm going to be in trouble. So maybe I cannot indict her and please this crowd, but I'll beat her up a little bit and please that crowd. <laughs> and then supposedly he had promised uh, Congress people that if there were any change, he would let them know. Now, I can just tell you right off the bat, that's not what the Department of Justice is supposed to be doing. Oh, yeah. Anybody who wants to know what we're doing in our investigation? Yeah, we'll, we'll tell you. Come on. These, there are certain things that are supposed to be secret, actually. And, uh, and so that was outrageous to come out and talk about Hunter Biden's laptop. Or it wasn't actually it wasn't Hunter Biden's. It was uh, Anthony Weiner's laptop. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the world is just too good. Um, but that was Anthony Weiner's laptop that it turned out contained some of Hillary's emails. And then so here, what was it, a week, 10 days before the election? He comes out with some new announcement about Hillary's emails. And of course, in an election that close, you could argue almost anything uh, would have made the difference. Well, I kind of I'm kind of happy about what he did because it meant that Hillary Clinton didn't get elected to the United States presidency, which yeah. I still think would have been a disaster for the United States. She's a, she's a she's an evil woman in a way Biden isn't an evil man. Biden is merely corrupt and stupid. Um, Hillary Clinton is corrupt. He's number one. <laughs> He's the best we could hope for. He's only corrupt and stupid. Well, no, that's you're right. You're Democrats. right. That's I mean, Democrats. Are <laughs> no, the, the current. I don't believe he's going to run uh, for re-election. And, uh, no, and not a chance. Uh, and uh, the four leaders of the pack right now from Democrats. What a sorry lot they are. Uh, it's it's awful when Gavin Newsom is the best looking one of the crowd. I don't like Pete Buttigieg. I, I mean, I, th I think he's dangerous and and also in just no way could we trust that man. And uh, Elizabeth Warren, I believe, is a liar through and through. I don't believe she believes any of the things she says. I believe that she wants power so much that she's changed her tune from being a sophisticated scholar to being this nutball feminine, social, whatever the hell she is. But, you know, she seems just like you or me because, you know, she'll just grab a beer at the end of the day and... Uh... Yeah, well, <laughs> I'd share a whiskey with her, but I'm not going to share a beer. Oh, no, she's she's more a common person. Yeah, uh... I'm, I'm not a common person. I don't do beer. <laughs> I can't stand beer. Anyway... You do, rem um, you do remember her uh, little beer stunt? That oh, that is the word. That was, the, that was cringeworthy. It made even yes. Hillary... It gave Hillary a run for the money, and Hillary had like about four or five appearances <laughs> yeah. in, in that in that election cycle that were cringeworthy just to an astounding degree. Because Hillary can't be a normal person; she isn't, 
whatever she is, she's what she is. She's not a normal person. And pretending to be one is never her strong suit. And then when she is what she is and lets her freak flag fly, that moment where she says she should be ahead in the polls, you know, why am I that 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 moment is actually one of the most frightening things I've ever seen on television. Uh, it was it was an astounding moment. That was a great 2019, uh, 20, uh, what was 2015 and 2016 were just amazing moments in American history. Yes. And, you know, one of the things that that even people like Chuck Todd have admitted is they were completely clueless. They did not ever seem to understand that Hillary Clinton really had a problem, that people didn't trust her, didn't particularly like her because they couldn't trust her. And uh, he made a comment uh, months after the election that oh, we, we kind of missed the undercurrent. How do you miss that undercurrent? Like, do you, are you in a hermetically sealed, you know, uh, vault or something? It, well, I think it was a, actually a, a, an important moment when the Democrats chose her because it meant that they didn't understand how loathed Hillary Clinton was. Is that, I mean, a third of Americans hate Hillary Clinton. It, with a, and, and that sort of led to, I think it was her selection, her election, her, her, her installation into the, into, the, into the high realms of the race uh, was what led to other Americans choosing Trump. I mean, if you choose her, we'll choose him. And I think it was kind of deliberate in a, in a kind of phony and revenge scenario of just, you know, just, just retaliation of if you're that icky, we'll be this icky. I, you know, I, they, they, they both, you, you, you couldn't win against, uh, you know, you, you couldn't win with Trump's negatives except against somebody who had those kind of negatives. And, and I think that's, you know, that's the thing about Joe Biden. Nobody thought he should be president. I mean, nobody, including, I think, his, you know, his parents and, and his, uh, you know, everybody who knew him, but, but he was not scary. And, and I think he is scary. I know. And I know you do too. Uh, but but people viewed him that way. What harm could he do? We need someone who's not as frightening as the other choices we've been given. And of course, the Democrats were horribly frightening. I mean, it, I think the Democrats realized from some pretty intensive polling that they didn't have any way to stop Bernie Sanders. Right. And even with 60 percent of the country not liking Donald Trump, he would get a majority of the vote against Bernie Sanders because they don't want to be communists. They don't want to take their honeymoon in the Soviet Union. Yeah. They, you know, it's just that's not where they are. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the fourth person running right now on the Democrat side is uh, is Kamala Harris. And <laughs> yeah, it, it's just what a what a what a strange world we live in where she's vice president of the United States. You know, we've had people who seem dumb, and I, I think that, you know, or were embarrassments, like Spiro Agnew was in some sense an embarrassment, though to what extent he was set up, I don't we know. We might want to count the non-embarrassing vice president. Yeah, because there's been quite a few. Uh, but she is really not a smart woman. And she, her, her speeches, I, are they extemporaneous? She says nothing. She You can, hope. 
you hope and pray they're not extemporaneous because almost anyone at any level of intelligence can speak better than that extemporaneously. You hope that it's someone who wrote it all out, but like the printer jammed. And so some of the lines got repeated yeah, several okay, times. That, that's, that's because- a- she will repeat things over and over. I mean, it's it's a mess. It really is a a mess. And I don't think she can beat. I don't think she can beat anyone. Uh, now, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think that she's really the worst candidate of the lot, uh, being the dumbest. Uh, but uh, so I think Gavin Newsom, of all people, I mean, I think he's just a horror show. But I think he has the best choice. But we're kind of far afield from what we're. We are far afield, and we have some time to to get prepared for that ugly election in 2024. Um, we'll keep talking about 2022 and uh, hopefully we can avoid World War III. How's that for another number? And um, we still have freedom of disassociation. That's right. That's right. That was, that was, which, which day was that? That was, that was Tuesday. I think Tuesday. it was. Yeah, you're right. Tuesday. And that was basically, uh, and we will we'll just mention it be, before we go, but it, I started out talking that Groucho Marx uh, famously quipped that he wouldn't want to join any club that would have him as a member. I think, uh, I think Woody Allen picked up on that uh, mm-hmm. and, and also repeated that. But there's a university, Yeshiva University, I get that right? That's how I pronounce it. Okay, and and basically it's a uh, Orthodox Jewish university, and there was a club that uh, attempted to form. That was an LGBTQ, an LGBTQ. L- yeah, I got that right. And uh, and they wouldn't let it form, and the court came in and said you have to allow it, and they suspended all organizations at the university. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, I'm not Jewish. I'm not gay. Uh, I, I don't have a dog in that fight, so to speak. Um, you know, I I if I had a university, I'd probably allow people to form exactly that club or all kinds of other clubs. But it's up to the people who have the university and uh, you have a freedom of association. You have a freedom of disassociation and. Um, Anyway, that was Tuesday's uh, Tuesday's commentary, and we had uh, interesting comments there too. So it's been a pretty uh, vibrant week at thisiscommonsense.org. Yes, indeed, and uh, and we'll be back next week for more vibrance, and not more violence, but more vibrance. Okay, that's that's just the way we roll. Okay. Well, uh, I'll talk to you a little later. All right. Thanks, sir. Bye. Bye. This podcast appears on the weekends and is hosted on SoundCloud and Rumble. We always appreciate it if you hit like, subscribe, tell your friends, and send them to Paul's website. Every day of the week, Paul gives a short commentary, and every weekend, we talk about it here. Mm